Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Erica Hornthal about dance movement, It's not actually all about dance, you'll be interested to learn. It's about witnessing the internal dance and how the body maybe wishes to move or is already moving. We often have this definition or assumption or judgment of what dance is, right? It's a set skill, it's choreography, it's uh, I'm good or I'm bad at it. Dance, I really see it as like our first language. You know, we don't express ourselves through words, but from even before we're born, there's this dance of life, you know, cells dividing, blood flowing. There's nonverbal relationships happening, connection between, you know, baby and mother, um, family members, etc. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Hey, I have Erica Hornthal here. Really happy to meet you and, and get to know you a little bit. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. You know, I was thinking when I was thinking of you being here, I was uh, noticing how much I love. So I used to really not like social media and I would just hid from it. And then right around the pandemic time, I started posting on Instagram 
And it's led me to so many amazing connections of so many people. And you're one of those people because I put on a video, a little clip from Lizzo's Big Girls documentary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like your sister's friend that I put the clip on. It was from Ariana? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, there was this moment of Ariana being asked to to breathe and have this somatic experience and she just starts sobbing and all this grief comes out. And it was just this gorgeous moment I shared on my feed. And you said, oh, I think you know her and you tagged her sister. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I want to talk to you. And I looked at your work and I thought, this is so cool. <laughs> so I just, I don't know where to begin. Like, tell me, tell me what you do. Like, what's your practice? Let's start sure. there. Um, and thank you for recapping that. Cause I, I'm thinking back and I was like, yeah, how did we, how did we originally connect? I know I kind of reached out or I commented and said yeah. something about dance or movement, dance therapy. And, um, <laughs> excuse me until you had said that, I forgot that it was the, um, Lizzo's TV, the clip from um, one of her TV shows or segments. Um, and I feel the same way about social media every now and then I'm like, I'm done. I'm getting off this, you know, (laughs) this isn't helping my body. It's, you know, just gets me stuck in this mindset. (laughs) And then I meet someone or a message that I thought would go unanswered gets answered. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. I'm going to stay for this. That's right. (laughs) Me too. You pulled me back in Instagram. You pulled me back in. Right. I try not to attach like my identity to social media. I just try to support my passion, you know, and Mm. spread, spread the word. So I guess speaking of that, you know, um, I am a dance movement therapist. Uh, it's very important to me to utilize and help people understand how all the nonverbal communication, you know, that's housed in our body can help us support our mental health, can help us express things like grief, um, you know, things like anxiety, any feelings, and uh, good, bad, negative, indifferent. And I think social media in particular has really helped me create this dialogue or narrative around how we can use movement and just all of the movement possible at any given moment in our bodies to support our mental health, right? To change our mood, uh, to look at patterns or how they get stuck, you know, in our mindset. Um, And that I think has been a very powerful narrative. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's new. It's just kind of redefining what that looks like. So there's two things you said that I loved. Um, Nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. And it's not new, it's redefining. Because ice movement is ancient. I mean, we've, it's actually very new to not move. And that's what, yes. right? That's what really interests yes, me. Yes, if anything's oh. Western, that is Western. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? the most Western sedentary thing. Is like lifestyle. Sedentary <laughs> life. And how recent, how recent. I, I mean, I'm imagining really the last like 50, 60 years, like it's super new to sit around. So I, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, what was your personal experience that led you into, I'm not going to be a talk therapist, I'm going to be a dance movement therapist. Tell us how that happened. I, I always wish that it was like, I had this epiphany. I, I interviewed a dance movement therapist once and she said she was a, uh, not a student, a um, client of a dance therapist. And it moved her so much that she wanted to become one. And I was like, that is a beautiful story. And I so wish I could say that. And that's not my, that's not my journey. It was a very traditional, I went off to college. I knew I wasn't really destined to be a dance major, performance major. I just didn't have the skill set. I didn't really have the passion for anything, but 
learning some choreography and just dancing for an hour um, or, you know, more if time allowed. So it was really this need to just hold on and like cling to something that I really loved so much because I thought if I don't study this, I'm not going to have the time to do it at all. And I had seen so many people actually give up dance because it was like, well, I'm going to be a doctor now. I don't have time for dance. And I was like, can't we do both? You know? Mm -hmm. So it was really just good timing, the right place at the right time, I guess, where, um, looking at what I wanted my career move to be, like what major I was going to choose. And a professor that literally said, you can have both. You can be a helper. You can be a healer. You can be a scientist. And you can also be a dancer. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it looked like. She introduced me to this world of, at the time, dance and medicine, which has now become more of an arts and medicine or arts and healthcare. Uh, foundation, but it led me to dance movement therapy. She actually said there, there is a practice, there's a field it's younger, but it's still been around since the 1940s in, you know, in the U S and it might be exactly what you're looking for. And it really was, I, I'm still learning it. It is very different now in my mind than it was when I went through school, but um, What, what changed what's different for you? I think as a product of our systems of academia, it was very much like, here's the definition, you must stick to it. Yeah. And I really pounded the, the, the words, like the actual definition as stated by, you know, our governing body, dance movement therapy is. And I kind of like shamed myself a little bit when I was like, oh, I messed it up. Oh, that's not mm. the right word. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that nobody even knew what I was saying anyway. There were so many that's people right. that were like, what's psychotherapy? Oh, what's integration? And I was like, well, why am I using these words if nobody relates to them? So I think once I really started to explore what dance movement therapy was for me and in my practice with my clients, it opened up this world of accessibility. And now it's really about making this field that unfortunately not a lot of people know about a little bit more mainstream in just the way that we approach movement and dance and mental health. So I I get lit up at the idea of defining it based on our own experiences, right? Mm. I love that because as a somatic therapist, more of an educator now, I don't do as much therapy, but as a somatic therapist and educator, early on, no one knew what somatics was. Like you would talk about it and it was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, what do you, do you give any strategies? Like, do we talk about probably like what they couldn't yeah. get it? So I too had to find my own mythology and words and language based on how I experienced it to kind of project and help people understand it. So you tell us through your body, mm-hmm. how do you experience dance therapy, movement therapy? What is it like for you? Well, I can speak in two ways, I guess. One as the client, because I do currently see my own movement therapist nice. and, and as the practitioner. So I think starting with my own experience as a client or um, even, you know, a supervisee as I was, you know, becoming a practitioner mm-hmm. um, and I still seek supervision. So for me, it's um, defocusing, decentering my propensity to be in my head. It's reminding myself that I am a body mm. and that while my mind does wonderful things, it also gets me into some trouble. And it's not always super helpful. 
Mm-hmm. It, it can be, but sometimes it, 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 it has the opposite effect, if you will. And it's just a reminder, you know, to reference, to resource, um, my sensations, my feelings, my body. It's also giving myself permission to pause, to recognize that I don't have to solve everything through the mind that I can kind of feel my way in to think my way out. Mm. Um, that's what it's been like, I think mostly as a client. So I'm going to pause you there. Let's pretend you're the client. You're walking into the door. Are you in a dance hall? Are you in a room, like an office? Tell us the environment. Uh, so the environment that I go into as a client is very much, I think what you would think of with regard to a, a talk therapy room. Mm-hmm. There is, um, her, her office in particular is kind of a rectangle. So there is space to move, but I gravitate towards making myself comfy on the couch and, um, sitting across from, from my therapist in, in her chair as well. And for me, it's really just getting comfortable in my body while we're talking. We don't, in our sessions in particular, we don't do a lot of like, let's get up and move. It's very much like, where's this coming up? What mm. are you feeling as we're talking about this? It's a lot of tracking what's going exactly. on in there. Tracking, it's pausing. It's, um, we do some IFS work. So it's kind of like, where's that part? What do you feel? Mm. What's it saying? You know, so it's a mixture. Um, dance therapy is kind of the modality, but it's always mixed in with some type of um, maybe more traditional, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. um, you know, psychotherapy approach. So it could be CBT, it could be DBT, it can be, you know, person-centered. Um, hers happens to be more IFS oriented. Um, and that's it. I mean, that's really what our sessions are like. And it's also like, if I need it, I can ask for it. You know, I can say, you know, I really, I'm really feeling the need to lay down. And I know she would be like, okay, make yourself comfortable. <laughs> no. So where does dance come in there? You know, I think dance is this more general, um, kind of inherent, intuitive way to express ourselves. So while there are plenty of dance movement therapists, I mean, myself included, I definitely will use dance from time to time. It really depends on the client. Um, dance for me is this um, first introduction to expression, right? So it's hard because we often have this definition or assumption or judgment of what dance is, right? Mm-hmm. It's a set skill, it's choreography, it's uh, I'm good or I'm bad at it. And, you know, dance, I really see it as like our first language. You know, we don't express ourselves through words or formal words, but from even before we're born, there's this dance of life, you mm-hmm. know, cells dividing, blood flowing. There's nonverbal relationships happening, connection between, you know, baby and mother, mm-hmm. um, family members, et cetera. So for me, like that word dance is really just remembering that that's how we started, you know, that the dance of life, so to speak, is kind of how we move through the world. And that we can add dance, right? We can use dance as a way to express or feel better. But for me, it's like just noticing what what dance is happening on the inside. So mm-hmm. the dance of my mind and body, <laughs> you know, the dance I of uh, the mind-body disconnect or right rediscovering how they're connected. That's what it is for me. Hey, my friends, I'm so excited to announce that my next six-week course begins on February the 6th. 
Registration opens on January 12th. This course will teach you how to eat to restore your nervous system, how to find safety in yourself, how to tell the difference between threat response and intuition. And you'll leave the course with over a dozen audio exercises, PDFs, and replays for review. You'll also be invited into the membership space where you get to spend time with me and my team, learning, practicing, sharing, and being supported all throughout the week. For more information, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com and click the course. Now let's get back to the episode. When, when for you as the, as the therapist, when does it cross, when slash does it cross over into let's get up and move mm. or how does that want to physically express itself? Um, because I hear you, I know with the work that I do, there is this huge internal dance, like spirals and flips and it's yes. so subtle when you're in it. And then it's like, whoa, when you drop in and then I'm curious when is the moment when that internal wants to externalize? How do you mm. support that? Tell me about that process. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Thank you. Um, one, I think especially for people who don't feel tuned into that, it's my job to notice when it becomes external. So mm. even even as you were talking, right? And just the the visual, right? Of like the drawing it out or the spiraling, right? Mm. That's the opportunity for me to kind of take a moment, pause and just say, can you do that again? Mm. Or can you just notice what you just did? Right. Cause I'll hear like, I don't know. I, I, I can't really describe it. And I'm like, okay, well, what's this? Mm. <laughs> right? And the person will be like, I don't know. I'm like, well, can you do that again? And they're like, and then that provides the pathway to the next thing. Like either, what do you notice about that? Does that describe what you're trying to tell me? Like maybe there are no words for it, or you just, you haven't created that vocabulary yet. So sometimes it's that it's just noticing the movement that's present, especially when that person can't notice their own. Mm -hmm. um, and other times it's really giving permission. You know, I'm just like, okay, so these are the themes that are coming up for us. I know some ways that we might be able to further explore this through the body. What do you think about that? And then in my practice, my room is very much set up where kind of we have this little corner where it's very talk therapy oriented. And then there is this big open space to, to move around in, walk through, lay down in. Um, and so sometimes I might be guiding it. And then I've also had clients where they're just like, I can't talk today. I just, I need this song. I need you to sit in the corner and I just want to dance until I can't move anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like me witnessing. I just get to be present to their process. And then at some point, maybe talk about it at the end about what they experienced. I think it's so beautiful because, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that it's not just dance. You know, mm -hmm. when I hear dance, I think when a lot of people hear dance therapy, they think I have to, it's like a class I'm taking out to dance. Yeah. I like this, um, I like this re redesigning the word to make it this internal and external. It's not mm -hmm. just about the moving of the body. It's noticing how's the body moving inside. One of the things I, I teach in my course is we'll, we'll work with this inquiry. So first we call those sensations, the charge, right? Mm. Just that's my language for it. Yeah. And I then, appreciate that. Yeah. One, one of the questions is um, how does the charge want to move your body? And when you're talking about even when I was speaking in the hands moving, and those of you who can't see Erica, she's like, you know, moving her hands in these circles, you can go on YouTube and see us if you if you want to get the visual. But 
that's one of my favorite things about working with people somatically is exactly what you said. They're saying with their from their mind, I can't explain it. And their mm-hmm. body is telling us this entire story. It's already story. doing the talking, right? It's doing everything. <laughs> and it's amazing because you'll hear them say something like, and then my mother-in-law came in. And they're putting their, they're putting their hands Let's in front of their faces. That. Yeah, I'm like, okay, can we just go back to that? And there's something gorgeous about a co-regulator when it comes to, or a facilitator when it comes to the somatic work because of that. Yeah. Because a lot of you at home who are doing self-led somatic work, which is awesome, the hardest part for you is to catch yourself when there's a nonverbal communication via Right, movement. you need that mirror, yeah. That's right. So I literally will ask people to do it in front of a mirror when they're alone. But when they're with you you're the mirror, you get to say, what's that about? And I notice with my people who I work with this, this practice with, when they move through whatever the body wanted to do without talking, mm-hmm. all the stress starts to dissipate. So they don't even have yeah. to get into the story. Is that your experience as well? Yes. You know, I, um, I never say, I never identify a hundred percent as like, I work in or, you know, with trauma. It organically, will, will happen. It will come out. Right. Because especially now that we know, we know the body keeps the score. It's a big conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, it inevitably comes out. So it was interesting to me how many people were coming and they were saying, you know, I have this history of trauma or identify as being a trauma survivor. I was like, okay, let's, let's now let's explore that or talk about that. I never, in fact, I, I stop people at the very beginning. I'm like, please don't feel that you need to tell me your story. If your goal is to verbalize your story. And that's one of the reasons that you're in therapy. Great. We will address that. We will talk about that. We will work through that. But you never have to verbally say what your story is because your body will tell it for you. And Mm. I think that's the problem, right? Is like, we don't always understand that our body is telling the story. We don't realize it's being said. We silence it right? We're like, I can't talk about that. You know, the body's like, but I have to, like, mm-hmm. I have to get it out. And so we just suppress and keep pushing it down or mobilize, stabilize. We don't move our body in certain ways because it brings up certain memories, right? Or um, mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't feel safe to move in those ways anymore. So yeah, the body, the body's always talking. And, you know, while somatic work, like you said, is not new, and there are certainly other practices that people are more aware of, I think one of the things that I wish more people knew about the field of dance movement therapy is that it's not just that the therapist is there to witness you. It's that we, we feel like we use our body as kind of the instrument to also gauge our experience to kind of reflect what we feel that you may be feeling as well. You know, it's like this somatic relationship You know, that's, that's really what dance therapy is about. It's in relationship. So you can do dance as therapy on your own, right? You can kind of have a little dance party yourself. It's not the same thing, right? Because it's actually being in relation to someone and that it's not just putting movement on, it's looking at the movement that's already there. And there are a lot of dance therapists that I, that wouldn't align with what I say because, um, they are very connected to the dance piece. So Mm -hmm. I just want to recognize that there's a uh, a lineage there, right? That like is very, very dedicated to that word dance. And so I don't represent everybody in the field, obviously. But I recognize that dance is triggering for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. if we want to 
create a, a pathway for somatic work in this way, sometimes we have to downplay dance because that's what prevents people from coming in. Yeah, that's what I was appreciating when you were talking about the, um, the full spectrum of that word for you mm. somatically. Yeah. Because if you think I have to go in and dance, you might never go in. But if you know that that's like one branch of what you might be doing, there may be enough capacity or curiosity to, okay, I'm going to go in and see what emerges. And I think it's it's remarkable when we consider, I always think of colonization as one of the instruments of how we stop letting our bodies express. Because you know, like fidgeting and moving in ways you don't want to became this kind of negative connotation, like, quote, uncivilized. Yeah. But the body is this beautiful, wild creature that has these uh, politically inconvenient or socially inconvenient ways, right, of releasing charge and, and anxiety. Yeah. And we've gotten really good at oppressing that with the mind. So I'm, I'm, what I love about all these, all the somatic fields, anyone I've, I've ever spoken with, is we're really just helping people unlearn their conditioning of stillness. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, as you were talking, it made me think, you know, that we're, we're animals, right? And, and that, yes, we have some, some needs, urges, you know, these, these, um, these movements that we've either suppressed or don't even realize we need, you know, like animals shake, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't give our permission, ourselves permission to kind of just shake after something kind of charging or maybe traumatizing happens to us, right? And that it's trickled down to our animals, right? Like, we send our animals, our dogs to obedience school, right? And we, we, I don't know, I'm, I really like the way that you said it, but you know, we kind of decondition, right? Or we condition them into stillness. And, right. and then, well, it's, but it makes them more pleasant, you know, and right. they're great to be around and they're so well behaved. <laughs> you know? it's, it's well, like, I see that through the same lens as parenting, you know, yeah, it's yes, like, when yes. I, right. When I think those really early years, um, especially when I think of myself in school, uh, my daughter's school is a little different now. They're more somatic. But when I think of school, when I was growing up, if you were moving, when a teacher was reading to you, that was like, no, like you would get mm. sent to the corner sometimes for fidgeting. Yeah. So there's such a connotation, a negative connotation with moving yeah. which really means we're being removed from the sovereignty of our own liberated body, like to do what it wants to do. Yeah. And I love that you brought dogs in because people will <laughs> often ask me, well, why don't animals, why are we the only animals that do this? And like, we're not like other animals actually can like circuses, great example of where humans can condition animals to go against their desired movement. Yeah. So any animal can be conditioned. We're just, we're the ones can do in the conditioning and we live in that. The, the social, you know, container where we do that. Yeah. Yeah. I really I keep thinking about like that conditioned into stillness. Yeah. It's like, even just like how we sit at school, you know, you will sit at a desk for, you know, eight hours, whatever, six hours or something, yeah. you know, we will have some breaks, right. You can go run around for 45 minutes, but no more <laughs> you know? right. that, um, only until sixth grade. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, done. why don't middle schools have playgrounds? Why don't oh colleges goodness. have playgrounds? Like, why, why don't we, you know, now we've got parkour, which is great, but it's like, yes. because I think it, it was built out of that need of like, yes. well, we need jungle gyms too, you know? And it's um, so funny. That's where I'm going after this interview. Oh, I, nice. I'm driving my daughter and her friend to parkour. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, we, 
forget how much our bodies need to move. And then we mm -hmm. wonder like, why do I have trouble focusing? Why mm. can't I, you know, achieve this? Why can't I do that? And it's like, well, maybe we can reconnect to parts of our body um, and let it move organically because the more we suppress it and we don't kind of only put it, you know, it's like saying, um, kind of like only allowing yourself to feel one thing at a certain time. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just not how emotions work, right? Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't be like, I will only be sad in the car for 20 minutes. That's right. <laughs> you know? like, that's right. It's kind of the same thing with movement, you know, it's, and then if you, if you only move at certain times, those will be the times that those emotions come to the surface and they won't be opportune. <laughs> they won't be. I just want to pause that. I want people to hear that again. You know, if you, if you, if you suppress movement and you only move at certain times, that's when emotions come to the surface mm -hmm. and it's usually not opportune. I think that's a really wise piece for us to feel into mm -hmm. because that's huge. Then, and this is why another reason we condition stillness because stillness suppresses emotional expression as well. Mm -hmm. And so if there's some movement happening and an emotion comes up, we're going to think, Ooh, that's not good. I'm not going to move that part of my body again. Yeah. That's important to feel, right? Yeah. Thank you. I know I kind of, I bulldoze myself sometimes where I'm like, yes, let's just pause for a moment. And stillness is powerful. Um, a lot of us can't be still, but again, recognizing that there, there is movement in stillness. We're never mm. actually still. Mm -hmm. um, and actually that sometimes that's the way that I help clients find stillness, right? It's I like through movement, like find mm -hmm. the movement that's actually happening in your stillness because, you know, meditation isn't about no movement at all. You know, it's, you can never be in complete silence because there's, there's noise, there's rhythm, there's pumping. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just redefining um, what some of these terms are for us, you know, stillness must be stick straight, confined, you know, dance freeze, <laughs> nothing. Well, then you can't breathe and you can only do that for so long until you have to take a breath. And then guess what? There's movement. <laughs> I love that you're, I love that you just went to the breath. Cause I was going to say for everyone listening to even try this right now and just feel inside of your body in this moment, even though you're probably sitting still listening to this. Mm-hmm. And just notice all the movement, like when you breathe, the way the lungs and the ribs stretch, and sometimes the stomach gurgles, and maybe you feel like an energy coursing through you. And what I love is, I back to that that inquiry I was talking about with the charge, when we notice mm -hmm. that movement, just asking the movement, "Do you want to move me?" Because sometimes it does, and we're like you said, we're conditioned against that. Other times it doesn't. Other times it's so lovely for the external body to be still and the internal body is having its dance and just mm -hmm. just to be the witnesser of those states i think is so beautiful and special yeah um, and um and not modeled you know because like you said i mean if our kids are spending most of their time in school and the narrative is don't move sit still be good mm -hmm. um you good know then we're silence being associated with that right then we're silencing our own needs and it's no wonder that we have kind of a mental health crisis especially among you know the younger generation so tell us how to get in touch with you where can people find you well contrary to how we feel about social media <laughs> you can always reach out to me on social media um 
I tend to be more active now on, on Instagram. Um, and my, my handles, the therapist who moves you, no surprise. No surprise. Um, but, um, more traditional approaches, uh, website, ericahornthal.com. Um, you know, I love to connect with people just like this, you know, it's just like having real organic conversations. So I encourage people, if you have questions or just want to kind of dive more into this topic, don't hesitate to reach out. That's awesome. Thank you for taking your time with us just to introduce this new modality, the somatic modality that some people are just going to love the idea of. Other people will be scared. And, and when you think about moving with a therapist and that scares you, that's a great sign that it's like, maybe I should try that. Right. <laughs> There's probably a party that really that. wants to yeah, lean into that <laughs> yeah. charge and let it move you. But I really appreciate the conversation and your work, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. It was really lovely to speak with you today. Okay, you take good care. You too. Bye. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions, that's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.